Our scripture today is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 8 through 18. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Genesis is one of the easier books in the Bible to find. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old. And along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged them in halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, but Abram, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they served as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun is set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land. These are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is a fun series for me. I told you last week that I get to tell you about stories from the Old Testament so good that even though I had to pass them over at first when I was telling you that grand story of what God is doing in the Old Testament, we are going to circle back to some of my favorites Um, Just beautiful little gems that when we understand them, unlock other pieces, either in the New Testament or the Old Testament, or in our own hearts. Now, I've just read the, or Jay has just read the scripture, and if you were listening, you're probably like, wait, what? This scripture with like a dark night and animals cut in two and a bloody path and fire and smoke? This is really what you're going to pick for us? Like, this is your favorite? Yes, it is, okay? It is so much of my favorite that when I was on number two, Abraham, I had to preach him one Sunday, which I thought was really a Herculean task, but I did it. But while I was preparing, I was telling my husband, I really want to talk about these bloody animals. I really want to, I really want to talk about this bloody path. And he was like, leave it alone. Leave it alone. You don't have time, leave it alone. And I'd be like, I could shoehorn it in right here. And he's like, leave it alone. You preach to them every Sunday, you can circle back around. And I was like, I'm circling back around then, right? July 13th, that's my day for the bloody path. Because it is an awesome story. You're going to love it once you understand what it means, which you don't right now. But I didn't either. When I went to seminary, this was one of the most obscure and difficult passages I could think of. Animals cut in half, I mean, lengthwise, 
with their eyes staring, I mean, on other side, either side of a path, and then there's the smoking fire pot, some say a smoking oven, and a torch that kind of move through while Abraham is asleep. What? Well, then, in this Old Testament class, my professor taught me about blood covenant and what it meant to cut a blood covenant. And then, in fact, in this scripture where you heard Jay say, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, it actually says the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham. We've just translated that out in English because none of us know what that means. So this is a blood covenant. As soon as I understood what that was and what it meant, then for me, this passage in Genesis 15 had a golden thread running out of it. This beautiful thread that goes all the way to the cross of Christ. And from there, branches out in so many different directions, but one of them was right here to my heart. I could see from the very beginning of the story in Genesis 15 that God knew how he would save us. That we didn't have to wait until here and God figures it out. God knows. So I want to unlock this for you, this blood covenant idea. But we need to back up a little bit since at least the kids all think Abraham was a really great president, right? (laughs) Abraham was the father of our faith. He was the man in his old age who with his wife was called to leave their retirement home to travel to a land he'd never seen before and to believe these outrageous promises that God was making him. God promised him that all the land on which he was a squatter he was a nomadic herdsman. All of it would belong to his descendants, of which at this point he had how many? Goose egg, right? Nothing. And he was too old to have any more, and God said, look up at the stars. Count them if you can. Your descendants will be more numerous than these stars. And Abraham, knowing that he's talking to the creator of the stars, says, I don't know how this will happen, but I believe that you can do it. So he has this great faith, Abraham, that sees him through his life. But I also want to tell you, in case you think that faith and doubt can't live in the same person, that in this story at least and many others in the scriptures, we see that he is so faithful, but he still has a doubt. So he says, Lord, how can I know that this is true? I do believe, but it seems so incredible. Can you help me? And God says, yes. He doesn't chastise him for being concerned about how it'll happen. He gives him a way to hold on to faith. And that way is, he tells Abraham in this passage, go get these five sacrificial animals. Okay? Now, here's here's the part where when you're reading the scripture, even if you don't know what's happening, realize Abraham does. Because God doesn't tell him to slaughter the animals or certainly doesn't tell him to divide them into halves and put them side by side, the pieces, along a path, right? Did you notice God doesn't say that? Abraham already knows to do it. He knows to do it because doing this is a form of covenant in his day called a blood covenant. He knew what this was. 
He had heard about it. it. If they had had newspapers, it was in the newspapers. This is the kind of thing that happened in this day. All the readers, if you heard about those five animals, they would have gone, God is making a blood cutting, a blood covenant with Abraham? I mean, blood covenants were cut between people. You had a king, powerful ruler, and you had a subject. And they made a treaty between the two of them. And this is what it usually involved. See if you hear any similarities. The king would gift the subject with land. The king would give the subject protection, like a shield around them, right? Protecting them from enemies and from disaster. In return, the subject would give the king faithfulness. The king could have a lot of subjects, right? But the subject could only ever have one king. They had to make their choice. Faithfulness. Anything less is treason. And then from the land that the king had given them, they would send the king tribute. From the produce of the land or whatever they had, they'd send the king tribute. And that was the way treaties worked in those days. And to seal them, the people would go through, these two human people would go through a blood covenant. Five animals would be gotten, a path would be made, the covenant treaty would be recited, you will do this and you will do this and we will do this. It would be recited and then the king would stand there and watch as the subject walked through the broken pieces. The implication of them walking around and reciting their vows as they were walking through these pieces is, if I break faith with you, my king, may I become torn apart, utterly destroyed, dead, like these creatures. Imagine walking in that blood and saying to your king and your ruler, if I am unfaithful, this is my fate. That's what it meant to cut a blood covenant. Now, all of us go, well, whew, glad there's nothing like that in our day and age. Oh, yeah? Um, ever had a mortgage? Think about it. Um, there is definitely a greater power and a lesser power there, right? The greater power, the king, wait, the bank, makes you a loan of money, a gift, Right? A gift that comes with stipulations. You need to repay it and to send your tribute. That's called interest. On the schedule that the bank lays out, you sign an entire tome of papers, right? Initialing them, signing them, dating them. The person explains to you, well, this is if this and this is if this. But thank goodness you don't have to walk through bloody animals, right? Only try not paying. And then guess what the bank's going to do? They're going to rip your credit score in half. They're going to come take your home away from you. And they can do it because you're in covenant with them. They're going to make your bank account bleed by suing you for the difference between what your home brings for them when they sell it cheap and what you owe. So a mortgage is a lot like a modern-day covenant, and I'm painting it in grim terms, right? Mostly it's not as grim as all that. Trent, who's a banker, it's not that grim, right? But it's serious. It's serious. 
So if you can think about that, you can think about this covenant that Abraham is entering into because God is taking a civil covenant in Abraham's day that the people are like, oh, yeah, we know about kings and subjects entering into blood covenants. Just like we'd be like, oh, yeah, we know about mortgages. And God is using that language to make promises to his subject, his faithful person, Abraham. He's telling Abraham, you can believe in me. I won't fail you. You can trust me. We'll put it in writing. So as this covenant progresses, everything's going according to plans. There's the path, um, the king, you know, they both listen as the oaths are recited, as the promises are made on both sides. But then something really weird happens. Abraham, right before he's supposed to walk through the path, falls asleep. And it wasn't that he just needed a nap. God made him go to sleep. And we hear God making these promises. And then Abraham wakes, opens his eyes, the stars are shining overhead. And he sees fire and smoke walking through the pieces. Fire and smoke. I mean, pillar of cloud that led the people by day and the pillar of fire by night so they could always see God. The fire and smoke that descend on Mount Sinai when the people are going to make a covenant. When these descendants are going to make a covenant. The cloud that descends on the temple when the presence of God comes to rest there after the people have built it. Fire and smoke have always been symbols of God. So when Abraham opens his eyes to see the bloody path and sees that he is not being asked to walk it, but instead God is walking in his place, an incredible moment in our faith history is happening. I mean, imagine if when you went to sign your mortgage papers, you had signed everything you were, uh, all the promises were acceptable. And then at the end, the representative said to you, if ever you can't pay, our president of the bank has said he will sell his home and pay your debts for you. Go in peace. That's the gift that God is giving Abraham and giving us in this moment, in walking through these pieces. And that's why there's a golden thread. And this is Genesis 15. This is how early after sin enters the world and we humanity break the good world he's created. This is how soon God is willing to step in and say, I will fix what you cannot. I will walk this path in your place. And so it doesn't matter if the people are faithful or unfaithful according to this promise, right? It matters, faith and unfaith matter, but it doesn't change God's promise in Genesis 15. It doesn't mean that if they really messed it up, Jesus is like, no, forget it. They cut a blood covenant. God walked through the pieces, and in doing that, God said, I will take the death sentence that belongs to you. I will be torn so that you don't have to be. 
I will stand in your place. So the cross. And so my life and your life, a golden thread from this moment in the story to us today. Now, when I, was, when I became a pastor um, on that night, when you sit in the worship service, the bishop puts his hands over you and prays before you become a pastor. And the people who know you and have been part of your faith journey stand. And so you can hear the chairs, the seats of the chairs slipping up behind you. And one of the people who stood was a man I barely knew. Because the night that I was commissioned, my mother was ordained as a pastor. And he was a member of her church. He was a man whose life had been put back together again um, in that time that she had been there. And he was there for her. That's what I thought. But afterwards, after he had given my mom a hug, he came over to me and he put this cross in my hands. And he said, I really want you to open this right now. So I opened it and... It looks like this. Um, it's a broken pieces cross. In the center it says, the Lord takes the broken pieces and by his love makes us whole. And this man, John, said, before I knew God, my life had broken into hundreds of pieces. And no matter what I tried, I couldn't get them to go back together again. And he said, they were just as sharp and as jagged as these pieces, and I felt like I had broken my life so badly it could never go back together again. And then I met God. And he said, this is what happened in my life, that something, brokenness, that I would have thrown away, God saw value in. And when he put me back together again, he said, I have been... I felt like I've been put back together again even more beautiful than I was before. He said, I want you to keep this cross throughout your ministry somewhere you can see it. Because if you do nothing else, help people who are broken know that God can make them whole. He said, Laura, if you can do that, you'll have done enough. And so I have this in my office, and I always look at it, because this is me too. This is what God has done for me. Pieces that I thought I just needed to throw away, God has put back together again. More beautiful than before by his love, making me whole. And I came here, and there is a cross just like this one on our wall. That's the place that we're in. That's why we're here. That's why we bring our broken pieces, our hands shaking, and we just offer them to God and say, this is the mess I made in my life. Please. God says, I can heal that. I've walked that for you. You know a mighty Savior. And in his power, we can be made whole again. The Lord takes the broken pieces and by his love makes us whole. That's the story in Genesis 15. 
That's the story of Jesus dying for you and for me on the cross. And that's the story that I long to see a reality in each of our lives today. This story, if just this, it's enough. And so I'd invite all of us to come sit with Abraham under a sky filled with stars. Open our eyes with faith and doubt mixing together and see God walking the path of brokenness in your place. Hear him promise you. Hear him cut a blood covenant with you saying, there is no brokenness. There is no death. There is no failure so great that he will not make it new. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you meet us in the midst of our faith and our doubt, carrying the broken pieces of what something that used to be so beautiful, and you speak to us of hope, of restoration, and of healing. And so, Lord, may we sit with Abraham and know that you want to make a covenant with us, a covenant that we know is fulfilled in your son, Jesus. Repair and restore our lives. Help us to know that you love us, even when we fail, and that you have good plans for us. Not plans of brokenness, but plans of restoration. Help us to trust that like Abraham did. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.